Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here as we kind of kick off our series really exploring the book of Philippians. We're going to be taking a look at this book passage by passage, verse by verse over the summer, and I'm really glad that you'll be able to join with us in this because this book is incredibly powerful. And I think there's something really important, actually, about going through an entire book. This is something we do often here where we work through either a full book or a significant chunk of a piece of scripture. Uh, We've done this in the past year with the entire book of Lamentations, working through all of that, also the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Acts, and then we're going to be beginning with Philippians. Some of the reasons that this is really important, actually, is because when you work through a significant chunk or a significant book, like working through it all, what it forces you to do is it actually forces you to cover pieces of the Bible that you might otherwise skip if you're just kind of jumping around. It's also really important to do this kind of study, deep dive into Philippians that we're going to be starting here today, because the Bible, when it was wrote, it's actually meant to be read as whole, not just as chunks and as pieces. Books are meant to be read like, you know, straight through. And so I'm excited for us to actually be able to really dive deeply into this book, to be able to understand some of the different allusions and parts that are going on, and really to see how the whole thing is kind of woven together. I also think it's a good idea to be studying the book over the summer as we kind of enter into the summer, because then if you're away and you're going to be checking us out online, you can also still stay connected to by simply reading the book of Philippians. And if you're not um, familiar with the book, here are some of the promises that are found in Philippians, promises we'll be covering and looking at that are really powerful. Um, Paul says some of these sort of things within Philippians. He says, and I'm certain that the God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We're going to take a look at that verse here today. He also says that I want you to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul says, uh, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. We're going to see through this um, study, really, how Paul can rejoice, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And then there's a very famous uh, part of the book at the end of Philippians 4, where we read, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so today... Today, we want to begin with Philippians 1 in verse 1. We're going to work through to verse 11, and we want to kind of explore this book and really be paying attention for what it is might the Holy Spirit say to us in and through the words of Scripture here today. So I want to begin with verse 1 and then share a little bit about the context, and then we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper. So Paul writes this to start off with. He says, this is the letter from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. And so right off the bat, we see that this letter is from Paul and Timothy and that they are slaves of Christ, meaning that they are followers of his. And before we kind of jump deeply into this book, I want to set some of the context and understand a little bit here about who Paul is writing to and where he is writing from. It's clear that he's writing to all the holy people in Philippi. And I want to explain a little bit about the church in Philippi and especially where Paul is actually writing from. So the first thing to know when it comes to this book, the first thing to know is where is Paul writing from? And where he is writing from, this will become incredibly clear in the next few verses that we read, that Paul is writing from prison. This is where he is. That he says literally in verse 7, he says that I am in chains. That Paul is in prison, he is imprisoned, he is in lockdown, he is in a really difficult space. And what he is doing, essentially, is Paul is just waiting for a verdict on whether he gets to live or die. That's the space that Paul is in right here and right now. He is writing from prison. And the reason that Paul is in writing, uh, the reason that Paul is in prison is because Paul has been preaching the gospel. And while you might not realize this, the gospel is very political. And here's what I mean by that. The gospel, what it does is it challenges your allegiances and asks you to make allegiance solely to Christ. That's what the gospel is about. It actually challenges some of your allegiances and invites you to only make allegiance to Christ. 
So you can imagine that Rome and Caesar was not too impressed when Paul was walking around saying, don't give your allegiance to Caesar, give your allegiance to Christ. This was causing massive problems. So he gets put in jail and he's waiting a verdict, okay? So that's where Paul is writing from. We're not totally sure whether that jail is in Rome, Caesarea, or Ephesus, or some other places, but that doesn't matter too much for our understanding of the book. What we need to know is that Paul is in a very difficult space, and yet he's still going to say things like rejoice, and he's still going to find joy, and we'll see that throughout this book. The second thing that I want to notice about this book is that it's actually what's called a friendship letter. That's kind of the genre. That what's going on here is that Paul is writing to a church in Philippi that he knows well. There's this intimate relationship there. There's this deep connection there. This isn't like Paul's writing to the book of Romans, to people that he has never met before. Instead, these are his friends. These are his people. This is his community, and we're going to explore that too. So Paul's writing to people that he knows very well. The third thing that I want us to mention before we even kind of dive into Philippians is to understand a little bit about the city. The city itself was founded under Octavian, and it was kind of refounded, the city of Philippi. And what ended up happening was it was really refounded as like a military outpost. That what ended up going on was all these discharged um, members of the military were placed in Philippi. So it's this real big urban and political, but also military kind of strong point with many ex-kind of military, ex-Roman officers that are living there. So when Paul uh, goes and into Philippi and when the Philippians go and try to share Christ, it's a pretty big deal because this entire city owes its salvation to Caesar. So when they show up and they say, you should give your salvation to Christ, not to Caesar, this is not only a hard sell. This is actually like subversive and revolutionary and difficult. It's a really big deal. So the place where Paul is writing to is really a really big center of urban and economic, but also mainly has this real military kind of background and context around it. Okay. So we learned that about Philippi. The other thing that we know is uh, specifically from Acts 16, 11 to verse 40, we know that this church was started around AD 49. We learned that it was mainly made up of what's called God-fearing women. And again, this kind of shows the prominence of women in the early church and that they met actually in a prominent women's uh, merchant's home. So that's kind of the beginning place of the church in Philippi and you can read about that in Acts. So that's some of the context that Paul is writing uh, from prison, really two friends of his, to a church that he knows well, to a church that is set in a difficult place, kind of under Caesar, proclaiming allegiance to Jesus alone and not to Caesar. And from there, I want to start to understand this letter itself. I want to read it, and then we're going to just work it through, like verse by verse, section by section here today. So I want to read it to begin with. We want to read it in verse 2. Read this. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until the day it is finally finished, on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. You have a special place in my heart. That's that friendship letter, that intimacy, that connection. He says this, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. He says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. There's that intimacy again. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, that he's the one who activates it. He says this, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So this is a section of scripture that we want to work through today. 
And as we take a look at it, I want to notice three major themes that come up in not only this passage, but throughout the book of Philippians. And they are grace, community, and the activity of God. Okay? Grace, community, and the activity of God. I want to really get grounded in these things as we kind of move forward. And the first thing I want to notice is really that the book begins getting grounded in grace because this is just true. Grace is the starting point for everything, as we'll see. Let me read to you how Paul begins his letter. He says this, May uh, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And now you know why I end every service that way. It is not because I'm trying to be original. It is because I am trying to be biblical. But here, this is a really important thing for us to understand. And I wish I had time to actually go into both of those words because they're heavy theological words of grace and peace and to give them their own kind of sermon, each of them. But today I want to limit mainly my comments to that beginning of that word of the word of grace. And the reason is, is because grace is actually the activator of peace. And that grace is really the foundation of our lives and it's the starting point of everything. And in fact, we see that. We see that right here in this verse. Because what can happen if we're not careful is we can think that this verse is just like an opener, an introduction, a salutation, but that is not what this verse is at all. What this verse is, is a prayer. And Paul wants to get us grounded in the very beginning and the very starting point that we need to, which is always, always, always grace. Listen to what he says. He says, may God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. This is not just some introduction. This is actually the theological starting point of our lives. So we need to pay attention because grace is the theological starting point of our lives. And I want to explain that by two reasons. That first, that first, the only reason we exist, the only reason that actually creation or the cosmos exists is because of grace. It's all because of the generous gift of God that God creates out of nothing. And the fact is that we right now are living and breathing, that we only have our life and our breath and our movement because of the activity and the being of God, that our lives right now exist actually as an extension of God's grace. The second reason that our lives are grounded in grace and the starting point of everything is grace is really as Christians that we should get this, right? That what do we learn in Romans? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is grace. This is mercy that we are only included because of first the activity of God. So when we read this verse here where Paul says, may God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. We can't just read this actually as some like salutation or opener. This is a prayer that he wants us to get grounded in the very beginning, original starting points of everything. And that's all about receiving grace from God because that is the starting points of our lives and our faith and our walk with him. This is why we here at Bethany have as our very first value, the value of grace that we value grace, that we want to show grace, that we want to share grace because we know what it is to be changed by grace. That's the only way anybody's life is ever changed, actually. It's in and through grace. Paul knows this so well. Remember last week, as we learned, he was knocked off his horse and then he experienced the grace of God. This is why for us, we will continue to emphasize grace and to err on the side of grace because follow with me, our God is a grace first God. Anyone want to say amen to that? That our God is a grace first God. That while we were still sinners, he died for us and gave us his grace. Or as Paul puts it here, he says, may you receive, may you partake, may you experience God's grace and his peace. This is something we need to get grounded in because this is something, follow with me, this is something actually that our world really dislikes. This is something that our world actually hates. Our world does not do well with grace. And sometimes this actually sneaks into the church as well. That what we so often would rather have is condemnation, is legalism. We want to make sure that we're in control and not in debt to anyone else. But grace says we're in, uh, grace kind of levels the playing field for every single one of us. 
This is why it is such a messy and a difficult thing, but it's also something that we need to receive so deeply. This is why Paul begins this letter with, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Because this, this is the bedrock actually of Christianity. This is the bedrock of everything. And so often, so often we can mistake this and we might slide into condemnation or scorekeeping or legalism, but this is a perversion of the gospel whenever this happens, actually. Whenever we slide into scorekeeping, legalism, or condemnation, it is a perversion of the gospel because what is at the heart of the gospel is a God who dies for us, a God who reaches out to us, a God who right now is causing you and I to exist only because of his gracious gift and mercy that everything begins in grace and we need to too. And if this at all, like makes you at all uncomfortable, do you wanna know what that means? That means you're understanding it rightly because grace properly understood is messy. It is complex. It is challenging. And we love to place limits on grace, but follow with me. Jesus died so that everyone would have access to it. Okay. We love to place limits on it, but God says that he abounds in it. This is what we need to as well. And in case you think I'm maybe reading into this one short verse, I want to read to you actually how Paul begins every single one of his letters. And I'm going to read the beginning of every single one of his letters. And just notice with me, if you see any I don't know, common uh, themes. So we're going to begin with Romans and go all the way through, okay? So in Romans, we read this, Romans 1, 6. May God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. 1 Corinthians, may God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. 2 Corinthians, may God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Galatians, may God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Are you noticing any kind of like themes or similarities, right? Ephesians, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Colossians, may God our Father give you grace and peace. First and second Thessalonians, may God give you grace and peace and may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Or first and second Timothy, we're reading every single one of Paul's letters here. He says this, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Or second Timothy, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Are you seeing the theme? Are you seeing the similarity? Are you seeing where Paul begins every single letter? Because this is the beginning part of every single one of our lives. He says this in Titus, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. And lastly, the last work of Paul is Philemon, where we read, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. That what Paul does in every single one of his letters, what Paul does in every single one of his letters is he begins with us receiving grace and peace because this is the starting point of our lives. This is the starting point of us walking with Jesus. This is the starting point of everything, us receiving grace And I just think that this matters so much, that when we emphasize grace, mercy, and love, this is not cherry picking the Bible, this is actually being faithful to the scriptures where Paul makes it very clear that everything begins in grace. And we're gonna see this actually throughout this letter. We're gonna see this another three times in this short passage that we're looking at today, that grace continues to be the activator of all things because grace is really the first step of God towards us. And it's something that we need to not only receive, but to be so appreciative and grateful for. So we see the importance of grace in the very first verse. And then I want to read um, the next few verses and work it through. We're going to see instead this theme of community. Okay? Paul says this, Every time I think of you, I give my thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And he says, And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now in this passage... In this passage here, in this section, we see something that is both beautiful and actually in some ways heartbreaking. That what Paul's going to talk about is the beauty of community and really the beauty of what is called koinonia. 
that when Paul says this, when he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you in all joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. That word partners there is the Greek word koinonia. And what it literally means is this real deep communion, connection, synergy, relational aspect with someone where you get tied together. And Paul says that the reason that they are tied together is not, uh, that they are actually partners, that they're actually partnering together, that this gives him deep joy. That Paul says every time that he thinks of the Philippian church, even while he's in prison, even while he is suffering, even while he's in imprisonment, every time he thinks of them, he gives thanks because they are partners together. They are koinonia together. They are actually serving together. That is what's going on. And so Paul says, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from now to the first time, um, from the first time you first heard it until now. So Paul makes it really clear that this is why he has joy. And I think one of the reasons that Paul is really clear that he has joy because of this is Paul also knows kind of the dark side that can happen within churches. That this isn't always true. That there isn't always this partnership towards working together for the good news and the grace of God. That Paul's also experienced some real difficult churches. He's experienced churches actually that are all about division and rumors and breaking up the fellowship. He's experienced churches where they want to raise really minor theological issues or non-essentials to being essentials. Right? Just go read the book of Galatians. That's what's happening in there. There's a church that really is really all about scorekeeping and legalism and judgment and not about the gracious working of God. And so Paul knows. Paul knows that sometimes churches can kind of go a little bit astray, that sometimes there can be this false unity that's so hurtful. This is why then his connection, his relationship, this intimacy with the church in Philippi is so deep, it is so clear, it is so meaningful to him. This is why he says, every time I think of you, I am filled with joy that we are partakers, that we are workers, that we are servants together in the good news of Christ, that this is a real special place and a special uh, relationship that he has with this church. And I can tell you, I can tell you personally, that I feel that here as well. Now, I don't think it's at all you know, shocking to say that for me, the last few months have been a little bit difficult in many different ways. I'm not sure if you felt that, but I know I, for me, you know, it's just been, it's been hard, it's been wearying. Uh, in many ways, I felt that many times I haven't actually um, kind of lived up to the expectations I would have for myself. In many ways, I just feel inadequate. I'm not sure how you've been feeling, but that's how I've been. I've been feeling inadequate as a dad, neither having the time that I would like for my kids or sometimes the patience that I would wish that I had with my kids. I know I've been feeling inadequate with like Krista, that I'm not able to support her in the ways that I would love to as she kind of continues on in her career and what God has for her. And there's been also many times I felt really inadequate as a pastor, just trying to bear some of the weight and grief that comes with pastoring. It can be really hard. And so over the past few weeks, it's just been, it's been challenging. It's been difficult. You might be in a different space, or maybe it's been different for you. But I bet that mainly many of you can relate to ever feeling inadequate and just unsure. And so I'm writing on this passage. I'm preparing the sermon, actually. And I'm writing right here on the importance of actually being servants together, being community together, being partners together. And as I'm writing this, just having kind of a difficult day. Anybody else have a bad day in the past, like, three weeks? It was just a really kind of difficult, rough day. Anyone know what happened? The doorbell rang. And as I went to the doorbell, what I found on my porch was a coffee from Starbucks and somebody from our church just driving away, waving with a small little note just saying, thinking of you. Okay? That was it, thinking of you. A small coffee that day actually had a massive impact because you want to know what it reminded me of? 
It reminded me of exactly what Paul is saying here, that we are actually a community together, that we are partners together, that we are serving together. One small act of someone dropping off a coffee at my house actually just brought me such deep joy. This is why I think Paul and myself, um, he can say that when he thinks of you, he thinks of joy when he's talking about the Philippian church. And for me, when I had that coffee, that's all I could think of was such joy that I get to serve here and to be a part of this together, that we are actually in this together. That what Paul highlights in this passage is the importance of actually serving God together. That's what's going on here. He says that we are partners in spreading the good news. And then, and then Paul continues. I want to notice what he says next. And this part really emphasizes the activity of God. Listen to what he says. He says, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I want to read it again because honestly, in so many ways, I just wish I could just preach on this verse because it is so deep. There's so much going on in here. There are such beautiful promises for you and for me that we want to unpack today. Listen to what he says. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And that word there that talks about, um, I'm certain that God who began the good work will continue it or will complete it until it's finally finished. That word there in Greek is called epiteleo. And what it means is literally this. Epi is like a movement word. It can mean uh, to, over, against. And teleo means goal. That really what God is going to do is he's going to work within you to move you towards his goal, towards what he has for you, towards the direction and the completion and the destination that he has for you. This verse is an amazing, beautiful verse that when Paul says, and I'm certain that the God who began the good work within you, when he says that term there, good work, this is an illusion. This is a reference. This is like a hint, hint, and a nudge, nudge, all the way back to Genesis. The very first time we read of the word good and the very first time we read of the word work together. That's what's going on here. So Paul is actually referencing Genesis, and here's what he's doing. He's saying that the same God who set the spinning universes into like existence, the spinning stars, the spinning galaxies, all of that, the same God who breathed everything into existence from the very beginning, the same God with that amazing power, majesty, and wonder, that same God who began everything way back then is actually working within you. That same God who began the universe is actually coming to bear with his power, his energy, his actual activity in your life, and he is working within you. And that same God who began the universe so many years ago, he actually now is working within your life to bring you towards completion, to bring you towards the destination, to bring you towards what he has for you. And this, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. Because what it means, follow with me, what it means is that God will not leave you in complete, that God will not leave you in progress, that God will not leave you where you are at, that God will actually work within you to bring you to the place that he has. Listen to how Paul puts it. He says that I am certain, I am certain, I am certain that the God who began the good work within you, he will continue his work until it is finally finished or until it is completed. This is the promise that you can believe in. This is the promise that you can trust, that the activity of God is happening within your life and it will lead you towards completion. This is why then if you're having a bad day and you're wondering whether it's all worth it, you can actually rest in the fact that God is working within you. This is why if you're failing and falling and falling again and just unsure of what is going on, you can actually trust in the fact that the God who began the universe is still working within you. This is why today you can trust in the fact that God will not leave you where you are, that he will work within you. And notice with me, whose activity is it? It's God's. It's God's. It's his work that he does within us. This is, again, another example of grace that God is giving to us something that we can never do on our own. That today, what I want to just say really clearly, really, really clearly, because I think some of you might need to know this, okay, is that God leaves no person and no task unfinished. Let me say that again. That God leaves no person and no task unfinished. That he is working within you. His energy and his power is working within you. This is something that you can trust in. This is why. 
at least for me, at least for me, when I'm having one of those days where I'm doubting in everything, where I have, feel all this inadequacy within, this is why I can remember that even if I look forward, I'm like, I don't know if I have it in with me to you know, just press forward and to strive forward, that I can remember that it's not about me anyway. It's about the God who works within me and is working within you, who as Paul says, that he is certain that he will complete what he has started that God will complete what he has started. He will not leave his masterpiece, you, my life, this world. He will not leave it incomplete. He is working with his power, with his timing, with his plans to actually bring us to completion. This verse is an amazing promise that I think we need to hang on to in this day and age, in this season that we are in, that God will complete what he has started. And then Paul, and then Paul ends uh, with this. This is the last section we wanna take a look at. He says, so it is right. It is right that I should feel as I do about you, for you have a special place in my heart. This is, again, that real deep connection that he has. So he says, with, he says this, You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus. And here, here again, we see the same things we've been looking at. Grace, you know, the activity of God, and community. Paul says this, and we see really clearly the importance of both grace and community in this verse. He says, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Now here in this translation, what the NLT does is a good job in updating it, but it actually obscures a point. That for the Philippian community to actually stand with Paul in defending the good news and confirming the good news and to actually be standing tall in the truth of the good news, that they can only do this because they have first received and experienced grace. That before you can actually stand in the good news, you need to receive grace. That's what Paul's going on here. This is what he's saying. That when Paul says, you share with me that special favor of God, that word there, special favor of God, is actually that word grace. This is when the, I, the NIV does a little bit better job translating it. It says, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. That what draws them together is actually the fact that they share in God's grace together. The ESV is even better. Listen to how they put it, and I love this. He says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. I hold you in my heart because you are all partakers with me of grace. That it begins with God's grace. And that word partakers there is actually in the same family as the word koinonia. That really what Paul is trying to get at here is that what binds the Philippian church together, what binds him and that church together, it is God's grace together. That grace, when it is truly understood and when it is truly experienced, that what it does is it draws people together. It draws them to God and it draws them in unity with one another in a way that nothing else can. That's the grace of Jesus Christ that actually provides the foundation for a community to truly function. This is what he's getting at here when he says, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me in God's grace. So what does this mean for us all today? because I know we've taken a look at a lot of verses, there's a lot of words, there's a lot that's going on there and some really beautiful promises. Well, today I just wanna emphasize the three main themes that I see in this opening passage and the three themes that we're gonna see throughout the book of Philippians, okay? We're gonna, we've noticed here the importance of grace, where Paul begins the letter with grace and he says that you are partakers in grace, right? We've seen the importance of grace. We've also seen the importance of community, that word koinonia, that connecting together, that really there's this special intimacy between Paul and the church, and that's because of grace of God, and it's because of them standing together with God. And then the last thing that we've surely seen is actually the activity of God, that it's God who will complete the good work within you and within me. That's the promise of this verse. So what does this mean for us all today? Kind of what's the main point? Well, here's my main point here today, that I believe that we need to get grounded in grace, community, and trust in the activity of God. 
That's what I believe that this should highlight for us here today. That as Christians, what we need to do, if we're going to follow Jesus well, if we're going to actually follow him in this difficult world that we live in, we need to get grounded in grace, community, and the activity of God. That is the only way we can actually move forward. And I want to kind of now circle back to something I mentioned at the very beginning. That notice with me, where is Paul when he is writing? He is writing in prison. It is difficult. This is a really difficult space for him. And yet, what does he talk about? He talks about joy. He talks about grace. He talks about community. How is it that he is able to be so hopeful in the midst of such dire circumstances? What I want to suggest to you is the reason is, is because Paul is grounded in grace, community, and trusting in the activity of God. That's what's going on here. The reason that Paul can respond with such hope, even in the midst of such difficult circumstances, is because of grace, community, and trusting in the activity of God. And so today, today, if you want to be like Paul, to be able to actually have hope and joy in whatever circumstances you might face or I might face, the way that that happens is, I think that we do need to get grounded in grace, community, and the activity of God. So the question is how? How do you then get grounded actually in grace? How do you get grounded in uh, the community? How do you get grounded in the activity of God? Well, to begin with, I want to notice where Paul begins his letter. Actually, where does he begin with? He says, may you actually uh, receive the gift of grace and peace from God the Father. That really for us to actually get grounded in grace, community, and the activity of God, that where it begins is actually with receiving. It begins with receiving. That Christianity, follow with me, Christianity is not a self-improvement religion, okay? It has nothing to do with that. Christianity is about the radical interruption that grace begins within us. It is about us receiving something that changes us. That's what grace is. So today, if you want to get grounded in grace, community, and the activity of God, it begins first with receiving grace and peace. Remember that prayer that Paul begins with? He says, may you actually receive the grace and peace that comes from Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's where it begins. It begins with us receiving grace and submitting to grace. That if we want to become like Paul, able to actually have hope even in the most difficult of circumstances, it begins with receiving. Second thing then, second thing then, I want to encourage us is it begins actually then with us also then trusting in the activity of God. I can't tell you how much actual hope that verse gives me where God says that he will complete what he has started. Because far too often, I feel like things are on me. Maybe you feel the same in your family, in your workplace, in whatever, that you just carry things. What this verse reminds us is that God is active in you. He is active in me. And we need to trust in his activity. Now, of course, when I say to trust in his activity, this doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility, work, or action. That's a real mistaking view of actually what grace is. That follow with me. When you receive grace, it doesn't make you passive. It makes you active to follow God. Okay? That when you receive grace, it doesn't make you passive, it makes you active to follow God. But what I want to remind us is that really the whole initiative and activity, that it's still based on God. It's all based on Him and what He does. He says that He will bring it to completion. Right? So He's working within you. Can you trust in that? Can you look for that? Can you actually uh, really believe in that? That He is with you and working within you and He will not leave you incomplete. That that isn't who our God is. He isn't that kind of a God. So we need to receive grace and then we need to trust in the activity of God. And lastly, I really believe we need to do all of this in community. Paul's so clear here about the importance of community, actually about the importance of that koinonia, of partaking grace together. Because really, it's in community that we are not only reminded of our need for grace, but actually give us space to practice grace, to give grace to people around us, to give grace to ourselves. And I know I know community can be difficult. I know that actually coming together can be difficult. Paul knows that as well. He's been betrayed. He's been hurt. But it's still absolutely necessary. We have fallen for the lie in the Western world that we can do individualism without any accountability. That we can actually do self-improvement on our own terms. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is that we come together to partake in God's grace and koinonia together in community together. So what's my challenge then today? My challenge is really clear. Okay? Would you receive grace? Would you pray for God to just fill you with grace right now? 
Would you trust in God's activity that he is working in your life? And would you do all of that in community? Would you join with others? Would you make sure you're a part of a home church? Would you make sure that you're journeying deeply with others as we talk about so often here? This is my challenge for you today. Would you receive grace? Would you trust in God and do that all in community? And so to close today, close today, I actually want to offer a prayer for you and a prayer for me and a prayer for our church. But the prayer I want to offer to you actually isn't mine. It's actually Paul's. Because you may have noticed that there was a section that we covered in the beginning that we actually didn't explain or really work through. And that's true. It's actually Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. And so today, rather than me explaining this prayer, what I want to do is I want to pray this prayer. I want to pray it over you. I want to pray it over me. I want to pray it over our church and our community. I want to use Paul's words for our words as we seek to move forward following Jesus and move into this letter and understanding it deeper. I want to close with simply praying the words of Paul over you and me and over all of us here today. I'm going to be praying from the NLT, and then I'm also going to be praying from the message, using both of these really to just ground us in God, to ground us in his grace, and to ground us in the importance of community together. So let's pray together to close our time. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So this, so this is my prayer, that your love will flourish, and that you will not only love much, but love well. Learn to love appropriately. You'll need to lose your, use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary. A life Jesus will be proud of. Bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. May that be true in your life and may that be true in my life. And as always, grace and peace.